and welcome to my humble little podcast. My name is Keely and I'm here for all things holistic and health related. So today's topic started out a little bit broad in spectrum. Essentially, it began as a discussion about influence social media has on body image and I accidentally opened a can of worms. I started looking at the stats and numbers regarding mental health, obesity trends, and how much we're spending on health and medical. And it got real, fast. What sparked the concept for this video was a conversation I was having with a client of mine the other day over how irritating it is for me to see how influenced women are by the need to count calories, record their measurements, upload progress shots, and all this other nonsense that just piles on to make everyone feel like utter crap. No joke, I unfollowed an account this morning on Instagram for peddling this message. It's like, see ya, bye. I've got no time for that now. The woman in this account makes a habit of posting before and after of herself. What annoyed me is that her before photos are already pretty exceptional. And by contrast, her subliminal message is, I wasn't good enough like the before shot. And so you are definitely not good enough as you already are. And I think most people would be happy to have just looked like her before photo, to be honest. She openly disclosed that she went to the gym six times a week and was unbelievably regimented with her eating. But for the majority of people, that lifestyle is just not realistic. And I think it sends the message that you've somehow failed because you don't look like that. I've known people who live in the pursuit of their outward appearance somewhat obsessively. And in my opinion, equates to one of four things. An eating disorder, body dysmorphia, addictive personality, and huge insecurity. The stats available on eatingdisorders.org.au indicates that 16.3% of the Australian population is affected by an eating disorder or disordered eating. I think we can agree that most people have an awareness of anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa, but interestingly enough, these two disorders are only reported to affect 1% or less of the population in each respective category. It got me thinking about looking into this a bit more and I was confused AF by all the different acronyms that I had to make sense of. And there are so many. And given this is not a video about eating disorders specifically, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them. But what I could gather was there is a spe specific criterion that has to be met to be considered diagnosed in one of the main, more well-understood eating disorders. Otherwise, you're put into other specified feeding or eating disorders called OSFED, which is when a person would present with some of the criterias for an eating disorder, but not all of them. Then there is unspecified eat, feeding or eating disorder, UFED, that is a diagnosis given to a person who has a problematic or disordered eating pattern, but doesn't fit any particular criteria. It just got more confusing from there. Yes, there was even more acronyms to deal with when you break it down beyond that. I actually, I actually regretted doing this due diligence on getting stats. It's a minefield. And you can go and look all of this up for yourself, but you have been warned. I'm not an expert on eating disorders, so I only felt like it was important to touch on the three that concern me and this video. And like I said, there are many to read up on, so you can go do that. What I took from it is that disordered eating is a mental health problem. And the question I need to ask is, what is really going on here? We didn't even start mentioning eating disorders until the 1950s when anorexia was first mentioned in the 
Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Eating Disorders as a Neurotic Illness. By the 1970s, there was a rapid increase in cases of anorexia and bulimia being reported. You could argue that with recognition in and official diagnostic tools now available, this could be why, but let's be real, it's never that simple. There's often environmental and social factors that have to be considered. This was the decade of muses like Twiggy and stick thinness being the beauty standard of the time. I'm not suggesting correlation equals causation, but this was also the time when television and print media became a lot more accessible globally and trends shifted away from the curvy body of the 50s and 60s and towards skinniness as the ideal. This became more of a shit show from there, with body standards changing faster than Australian Prime Ministers. Let me circle back to the three types of disordered eating that stood out to me that I would most commonly encounter in my line of work. So there's disordered eating. This is when people adopt disturbed or unhealthy eating patterns that can include restrictive diets, compulsive eating, and skipping meals. This is listed as patterns that emerge as a precursor to a full-blown eating disorder. Now, there's ARFID, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. More acronyms! It's often referred to as an extremely picky eater. Again, this is accompanied by disturbed feeding patterns and selective eating habits. And then the one that I'm most interested in is orthorexia, which is one I've actually heard of and dealt with after working in gyms and with nutrition clients for years. It's one that's not being currently recognized as an official diagnosis, but let me tell you, it's being perpetuated by social media trends all the time. Orthorexia is an obsession with healthy or clean eating. It's those annoying influences that bang on about how many nutrients their latest puke green drink contains with little consideration for overall nutrition content or intake sustainability. Orthorexia has been created by an industry preying on people's insecurities while simultaneously feeding them. Yes, that pun was intended. <laughs> I need to make a quick side note. If you are someone who's struggling with these issues, there is help out there and I would absolutely advocate for you reaching out to a mental health professional. I am not trying to guilt or shame anyone who has found themselves in a place of body dysmorphia or restrictive eating patterns. It's actually the opposite. No one deserves to feel badly about themselves because they don't fit some ridiculous, unattainable standard. But we also need to be realistic about the reality we live in. With over 16% of the total population considered to fall into any of these undefined categories, from what I can understand, there are many just diagnoses that are not being clearly defined as anything. We've also got influencers and companies propagating these body ideals and associated products to help you achieve these ideals, but they're existing because we've gotten lazy. We continuously invest into these quick fix industries and it's because we would rather drink some disgusting tea every single day than put on some runners and go for a jog. I'm not making any of these stats up. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, AIHW, please stop these acronyms, 35% of adults aged between 18 and 64 years were insufficiently physically active with 39% of women and 32% of men not doing the recommended amount of physical activity. And do you know what the recommended amount of physical activity actually is? 2.5 to 5 hours of moderate activity per week or up to 2.5 hours of vigorous activity per week. That is not very much. Conversely, the fitness industry recorded a whopping $2 billion 
income in 2022 alone. So what I'm seeing is an increase in mental health disorders that are being leveraged by the health industry for a hefty price tag. And yet as a collective population, we're still getting fatter and more mentally unwell. The evidence would actually suggest we are looking for quick fixes more than ever and not doing the things that actually will combat obesity and disease. And I'll throw some more stats at you because why not? One in four children in Australia is classified as overweight or obese. And 67% of adults aged over 18 were classified as overweight or obese. That's more than half the adult population of Australia. And this is the data taken before the pandemic because the Australian Bureau of Statistics thought it might not be a fair representation. I don't know, I just made that up as an assumption because they didn't ask in their National Health Survey. Basically, in just over 20 years, obesity has risen from one in five people to one in three. And before the pandemic in 2018, when all this data was recorded, 8.4% of the total disease burden on the medical system was because of overweight or obese people. Now, being overweight and obese was the leading risk factor for comorbidity, which is living with diseases like cardiovascular disease, asthma, back problems, chronic kidney disease, dementia, I didn't actually know about that one, diabetes, and some cancers. This is alarming. It means that every generation is getting fatter, more mentally unwell, and reading over the stats is telling me that there are a lot of diseases rising with it. And our medical system, which is already struggling, isn't going to cope. The stats did indicate that people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds have higher rates of being overweight and obese because, let's face it, being healthy isn't cheap. Look, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. I believe that you either invest in your health or you pay for your illness. And I'm over here scratching my head because on the one hand, we've got this annoying overflow of social media fitzbos ramming insecurities about self-worth down our throats whilst a huge chunk of the population is clinically overweight or obese. Not to mention all the acronyms we are now using to diagnose unlimited amounts of health, mental health disorders. Obviously, their method for actually helping people isn't working, except I don't think that it's actually supposed to. In 2022, gyms and fitness centers in Australia alone netted $1.9 billion. Yes, that is post-pandemic society where we got pretty scared of social interaction for a minute. So, 67% of Australians' population is overweight or obese, and the projections suggest it's increasing every decade and the fitness industry made almost $2 billion in 2022. Now, have I missed something here? It seems people are spending more money than ever on health and fitness, but they're not actually getting healthier. And a meta-analysis that included a whole bunch of longitude studies concluded that there was a bi-directional relationship between depression and obesity. People with obesity had a 55% increased risk of developing depression, and that depressed people had a 58% increased risk of being obese. So my thoughts on that, if you avoid obesity, then you risk, your risk of depression plummets. Exercise, I mean real exercise, because apparently only a couple of weeks coupled with proper nutrition is okay, releases a chemical called endorphins, the neurotransmitted dopamine and cortisol. These are often referred to as feel-good hormones. It's not surprising that cultures throughout the centuries have used dance and performance as a means to release stressful emotions and reduce feelings of isolation. 
Our minds and bodies are incredibly well designed for regulation. We have a nervous system that regulates both conscious and autonomic functions in the body. Technology has made our lives easier in some ways and harder in others. In the past decade, a study by Black Dog Foundation found that rates of depression had doubled in teenage girls in just 14 years. With correlation being drawn between the amount of screen times screen time teens were engaged with and the steady increase of that depression rate. The awful parallel that came up was that people using social media were more likely to have mental health disorders. <coughs> TikTok. And by contrast, people with existing mental health disorders were more likely to use their screens. We have escalating rates of obesity that coincide with huge spikes in depression and anxiety. Our nervous systems are bored and overstimulated at the same time. We have found ourselves in a societal structure that has, in theory, catered to many of our basic survival needs like water, food, shelter. But our brains can't comprehend that there's no real threat on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Once our nervous system is tripped into a state of hyperarousal, it takes a long time for the stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline to re be reabsorbed into our system and for a baseline to return. Over time, if our stress hormone levels are continuously elevated, our nervous system becomes overloaded and we see a rise in inflammation and secondary health issues. And we begin to conceptualize problems into real threats and that is in turn activating our nervous system. And I wondered why poorer countries don't tend to record as elevated levels of obesity or anxiety and depression. And I always assumed it was because they were focused on real everyday survival, except after I looked into it, I found that there's just not enough data recorded from those countries to make that argument. Whilst obesity rates are lower in underdeveloped countries, which I wasn't surprised, the rate of anxiety and depression seems to be represented somewhat equally, and that did surprise me. I think many of our problems become an issue of being comfortable, bored, and lazy, and we've lost a strong connection with spirituality and religion. In Australia, after Christianity, 38.9% of the population identify as having no religious or spiritual affiliations. That's almost half the population who have disengaged from developing their inner world and connection with God. And that speaks to values, beliefs, and having a deeper understanding of who they actually are beyond this physical world. So I have a theory that by refusing the existence of God as human beings, we have to find some sort of framework for which we base our lives. Although this is definitely a broader conversation, religion was a way of setting out a set of values and beliefs to follow and guidelines for life. Without it, there's a bigger reliance on science, which is a practice that should be ever-changing and challenged. And ultimately, we're living by how we feel. Anyway, circling back, we've seen a massive spike in mental health issues in the last two decades and a bigger reliance on science and Western medicine and abandon our connection with religion or spirituality. I realized a lot of this years ago when I started regimented fitness training. And I thought I had a strong mindset until my physical body was tested. I didn't have the discipline to be able to overcome my own resistance. It started to become uncomfortable and immediately I wanted to move away from the discomfort. To make the physical pain stop, I had a hard-ass trainer who pushed me past my limits and I hated him for it at the time. 
I would yell at him and I'd cry sometimes, but I also realized how amazing it felt to release, realize how strong I actually was and to be able to express myself in such a way that wasn't accepted in normal situations. There was one session after I'd lost my son and I'd been numb for a while. He started pushing me and the resistance doubled down. I kept saying, I can't. My body, it just can't. And he wouldn't relent. And then I finally snapped. I screamed and I threw a Swiss ball across the room and he just stood there and he let me. And when I was done, he simply said, are you ready to get finished now? It was like I needed someone to push me, hold space and remind me that I wasn't as weak as I had thought I was. I see it often with people I work with. They come to me and say things like, I'm a bit sore today. So do you think we could take it easy? Or I feel a bit tired. So can we just do some stretching? People are scared to get uncomfortable. And yet, when I've, what I've discovered, that when we can discipline our minds to move through physical discomfort, we can unlock so much of our repressed emotional pain. We can heal. The answers are not going to be found in distractions, addictions, or in somebody else. The solution to losing weight and improving health is not in a mass-produced, one-size-fits-all, six-week challenge sold to you by an influencer, company, or gym who will never even know your name. In Western culture, we are still relying heavily on our medical system. With the market size measured by revenue at $197.5 billion in 2022. To be fair, that was a hard stat to decipher as it includes aged care and various other health-related industries. But that's a lot being spent in that sector. And very alarming when you revisit the stat that suggests we are spending more than a billion dollars a year on health and fitness. It's also alarming when you factor in that a huge majority of people identify as taking at least one medication for a health issue. I think we can agree on one thing. The pharmaceutical industry doesn't have patients. It has customers. After everything I've learned, I realized that I had to at least try to contribute to improving people's well-being and supporting people in overcoming this incredibly murky space. Very few people are actually using their platform to generally help others. It's difficult to know which influencers are getting kickbacks from companies to sell their products. And we know doctors have been found to be getting kickbacks to recommend certain brands of medication. We get bounced around the medical system and told that seeking therapy and pills is the solution to our emotional pain. But the numbers are telling us a totally different story. I don't know... I don't know what all the answers are. I don't have them. I just see a whole bunch of stats that are making me ask a lot of questions and it can see us heading in a bad direction. We're supposed to be living in a country that is wealthier, offers some of the best healthcare and provides technology in abundance. And yet I see us getting sicker, fatter, presenting with more mental illness and losing a sense of our spirituality. This model is clearly not working. The numbers and trends are quite blatantly saying that we are getting fatter every decade and relying more heavily on the medical system because of it. We have more options for social media engagement with technology right at our fingertips for every whim, yet our mental health stats are declining every year. I'm not making any of this up either, and the stats are really easy to find. They're not hidden in some shady depth of the internet. They're on government websites. None of this is as simple as numbers on a page. I get that because it contains human beings. And I know this is the tip of the iceberg for a much broader conversation. 
The point of this video became a need to shine a light on some of these factors and ultimately encourage people to start thinking along a different line. So what stood out for you in this video? Leave your thoughts and comments below. I want to wrap with my favorite saying, ah, so, and so it is. And please don't forget to like this channel and subscribe if you enjoyed my content and if you'd like to see me unpack some of these topics in a bit more detail.